This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, your source to healthy living. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. My guest is Dr. Jennifer Fraser, award-winning educator and best-selling author. Her story is one of strength and perseverance and her commitment to help heal the bullied mind. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Claudia. Dr. Fraser, you so kindly and candidly share your story about your son Montgomery, his invisible experience with bullying, and the effects it has had on him both mentally and physically. Can you share with listeners how this journey began? I was working at a school as a teacher. Um, It's the school that my son was attending, an independent school on the west coast of Canada. Students started reporting that they were being bullied. And the headmaster asked me to take testimonies. I ended up taking the testimony of eight students. And they gave detailed descriptions of scenes of public shaming, swearing, yelling in the face, um, detaining when the child tried to get away, a lot of homophobic slurs, just really horrendous sort of emotional and physical abuse that was occurring. But it wasn't students that was doing the behavior, it was teachers. And so your son was off on a trip. And I remember reading in your book, because I thought your book was fantastic. I remember reading a book, he was off, I think it was to Kenya. And it was like a last minute, he presented with an illness. And that's when you really started to understand the effects of, you know, your emotional state affecting your physical health. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So my son had, um, his mouth was all burned and his lips were sort of um, covered in sores and he couldn't barely swallow. And the doctor said it was cortisol. So that's when I started doing, I'm a researcher by training. I have a PhD in comparative literature. And so when people tell me something, oh, this is what's happening, which is what the headmaster said at the school. He said, oh, this isn't a big deal. This is just old style coaching. I was like, hmm, well, what does the research say? What do medical people say like yourself? What do neuroscientists say about the brain? Um, How is this actually affecting my son? And I was absolutely shocked by the research. And that's why I wrote the book, because I don't think the vast majority of people know bullying in all its forms uh, does such extreme damage to the brain and the body. It must have been a shock to you because your son was off on a trip, you know, on the other side of the world. And here was this diagnosis that he, you know, was under stress and you didn't even know it. So it's like an invisible stress that you weren't aware of and possibly he wasn't aware of either. Is that how it was for him? He kind of didn't, you know, you didn't talk about it. It wasn't something that he was expressing to you. He was just being bullied without knowing it. Well, when students are being bullied um, or athletes are being bullied by a teacher or a coach or maybe a doctor even, they don't tell their parents because they think it's their fault. They believe that, you know, from the age of four or five on, we tell our children to respect their teachers and we tell them to obey their teachers. And so when teachers are behaving in a very destructive, harmful fashion, in a sense, we've set our kids up for failure because we don't tell them vast majority of teachers are amazing. They're worthy of your respect. They are, they have your best interests, but there could be one or two who have their own troubles. They have their own psychological issues. They, they've been traumatized quite likely in the past, and they might take that out on you and really do serious damage. So you have to come home if there's anything like that and tell us right away. I said to my son, you know, why didn't you tell me? And he said, I did. And then he repeated the words. He said, I told you that I was the focus of relentless criticism. 
well, my, our son's an elite athlete. So my husband and I said, you're so lucky. The coaches, the teachers, they're paying really close attention to you and trying to take your game to the next level because they know you're going to play college. So you see, they, they lure you in with these sorts of things. They set you up not to understand. And then the other thing our son said was they are freaks. So that's teenager language. And that's our fault. Again, we didn't give him the vocabulary to be able to report accurately physical and emotional abuse. And uh, the other thing he said was, I hate those guys. And again, teenager speak, but I should have been, I should have known this. I, I really am very disappointed in myself that I allowed this to happen. You're not alone. Um, I'm sure all of us as parents are sometimes disappointed in our reactions because we ourselves don't know any better. You're right. The teenage lingo and the teenager, we always give them, we give the older people the benefit of the doubt, not understanding that the teenage wisdom is actually still there. So you're not alone in that. And I feel like we all do that. What I loved about your book was that it actually opened my mind up to having this conversation more often with my own children and with my nieces and nephews and friends and patients, of course where they feel comfortable talking to us about what they might be experiencing and understanding that sometimes it's not just lingo, sometimes it's actually a thing. So I love that about the book. Well, that's exactly what I was looking for. I wanted to replace a lot of the myths that we have around bullying with science. So every single time in the book, I go over, okay, this is what we're being told as a society. Well, let's take a look at what the scientists know. And it's, it's two different worlds. And I found that very empowering because if we could teach our children and our teenagers to have this accurate understanding of how sensitive and how vulnerable their brain is to toxic stress, they will be the first ones to raise the red flag and say, hey, just a second, I know this is unhealthy. I know it's actually dangerous. I need to let powerful, trusted adults in my world know so that they can intervene and get me out of this toxic environment. And the more we empower our kids to do that, the more we get the adults creating the toxic environment, the help they need, we're going to have a serious social change. Working in this field, I've come across recently some very, very concerning statistics. They've seen that from 2000 to 2018, youth suicide, so that's 10-year-olds to 24-year-olds, has increased over those 18 years 57%. So I feel that this is a very urgent, very pressing matter, and that we have to get the word out. We have to get the science into the hands of everybody to change how we conduct ourselves. I like that you refer to it as the science behind bullying and what happens. But before we talk about that, in your book, you talk about the bullying paradigm. So we use this term often. Most of the time we associate it with playground incidences, kids, be, you know, children playing with children, not sharing or saying mean things. But what exactly is the bullying paradigm? Just so that listeners understand. The bullying paradigm, if we're honest with ourselves, is completely constructed by adults. Adults role modeling, they teach bullying to children, and then they tell children not to do it. From the very highest levels of power in our world to the very smallest microaggressions in the workplace or in a domestic relationship, adults are absolutely rife with bullying behaviors. I mean, they publicly demonstrate it. We see leaders in their most powerful and prestigious positions in our country and other countries in the world use derogatory terms, put downs, shaming, um, all of these different behaviors that are designed to humiliate another human being. There is not the, uh, the diplomacy or the respect or the role modeling for children of how we might 
express different opinions, different ideas. And until adults take charge and say, absolutely no more behavior like this, we are going to shift it with empathy and compassion. Our kids are going to continue to reflect back to us our, our hurtful behaviors. And most people don't understand the physiology or the biochemistry behind bullying. And this is where your book is so impressive because you do explain all of that. So how is the stress response to bullying affecting the health of our children? Very, very harmful things to our children's brains and bodies. Going back to my son and the cortisol, it's a naturally occurring hormone in the body. It's a stress response. Uh, the brain and the body are working together, priming the person to fight fight the predator or run away from the predator. What our brain doesn't understand in the 21st century is that when we have cortisol pumping up through our brains, it could be because we're anticipating public shaming by an adult. We know it's going to happen. It happens every day after school, at practice, and our, our brain is preparing in this anxious, panicked, basically, way. And the cortisol becomes corrosive, and it impacts the immune system so that the immune system starts to get triggered and doesn't know when to step down, doesn't know when to calm down down, doesn't know how to take the child's brain and body off this ramped up kind of fight, flight, freeze response. And that's really where the damage occurs. And like you say, it's invisible. And because we don't see our brains, we tend to ignore them. So we're not teaching our kids, hey, when you're starting to feel this kind of fight, flight, freeze response, this is what you need to do in order to bring your system back down. I spend a lot of time in the book um, helping people understand that they can manage and control, they can teach their children to manage and control the stress response system and then the parasympathetic response system, which is where we calm ourselves down and we tell our brain that we're safe. It's really important. Cortisol, as much as it's a very necessary hormone, something we need, but when it's being activated or stimulated constantly, chronically, repetitively, it does cause a lot of damage to our bodies. And that creates a spiral effect downward. We're going to have a society of generally unhealthy youth, and that's not what we want. And that's why I can appreciate your statement. In your book, you say that it you know, if 20 million people were affected by a virus that caused anxiety, impulsivity, aggression, depression, you know, respiratory and health, other health problems, it would be an urgent public health issue. And so this is the magnitude that we're dealing with bullying and the brain. Is Am, am I right? Uh, that quote is from social workers who see the effects daily of the trauma that these children are living with. And they're living with trauma at the hands of adults. It's just that adults you know, we feel we can't bear that. It makes us so uncomfortable. I, as a teacher, I taught for 20 years and at university, at college and at high school levels. And never once did we have a conversation about adult educator bullying and what it looked like, what to do if we saw it, how to, how to self-identify and get the help we need. It was not talked about. It's a taboo in our society. But if we can't find the courage to talk about it, just as you say, we're going to have a continued serious health crisis on our hands. And so would you say that we are facing an epidemic of abuse, neglect, and trauma? And are we foreseeing the future? Like, let's talk a little bit about what that might mean. I mean, it, it, it's going to mean that, I guess, our kids are going to be in a state of chronic stress, PTSD, they won't be able to function. What is that going to do to suicide rates? Well, it's going to increase suicide rates. Suicide is continually rising, just like bullying and abusive behaviors are continually rising. And as you say, it's a spiral. So what happens is, as I like to say, hurt brains hurt. 
So if you have a hurt brain, if you have a traumatized brain, you're either going to turn that trauma that you don't even understand against yourself. And that comes in the form of substance abuse or cutting or eating disorders, or you're going to send this behavior out into the world in the form of bullying and or abuse and or criminality. And one of the key statistics that I share at the beginning of the book to get people to understand this is a medical not a moral crisis. We have to start treating it as health crisis. Is that 70%, that's 70, 70% of inmates in the California prison system were once in foster care. Are those bad people? Do we need to contain them and control them and, and punish them? I mean, that's so old fashioned. It's so out of date with science. What we really need to do is say, those are a lot of traumatized brains. Let's try and rehabilitate as many of them as we can by getting them the care they need for the trauma that they've suffered, that we would have a radically different world. And so I'm really excited about getting the word getting the science into the hands of the next generation. I want kids to understand that when they act out, when they make terrible mistakes, it's because of their brain. And if they started to work with their brain instead of against it, they would be able to manage their behavior, their health, their relationships, their academics, their sports, everything. It all hinges on brain health. And yet we don't talk about brain health very much. You also talk about neurological noise, and you provide us some examples of how it can cause PTSD. What is neurological noise? I took that question to one of the world's leading neuroscientists. He's the, one of the most highly awarded, most generous, kind, and brilliant individuals. His name's Dr. Michael Merzenich, and he took my book on as a passion project. And so I said to him, Michael, I'm really concerned. Is it accurate to say that when somebody's suffering what he calls neurological chatter or noise, what it is is electrical um, misfiring in the brain. So if you, what he describes it as to put it into layman's terms, so someone like myself could understand, he said, really what happens with the brain is when it can't answer the question, all systems start to degrade. And they can do this in the laboratory. They can take a brain and as he puts it, put it into a depressive swamp. So a very suicidal ideation type of place. And it's caused by this electrical confusion. When I was struggling to understand how this could happen to a child's brain, a teenager's brain, Here's an example of how um, a personal uh, situation for me, the student could not answer the question. She was being sexually harassed by an educator. And so this person was very close to her, which is typical in grooming or child luring behaviors. As you know, the person really works hard to build trust, not just with the child, but oftentimes their family as well. So she couldn't answer the question, is this person to be trusted? Is this person an educator? Is this person caring of me? Does this person really think I'm wonderful or is this person dangerous? Is this person a pedophile? She couldn't answer the question. That causes absolute chaos for the brain. And the brain is trying to make sense of reality at all times. That's its job. And when it can't make sense of reality, like in that kind of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation, then the brain starts to degrade systems. It's like it's had a concussion. The brain will equally be affected by physical abuse and mental abuse. Is this what we're, you know, is this what we're starting to understand? That was one of the most important discoveries for me was that we tend to privilege the body always. We tend to ignore the brain. If those teachers broke my son's arm, there would be nothing that the headmaster could do but fire them. That would be considered an, such a violation, such a breach, they would not be able to keep their jobs. But because the abuse was um, homophobic slurs and yelling in the face and detaining for more public shaming, 
that didn't leave any mark on the body. That didn't break a bone. So these teachers, they were never even suspended. There was all this sort of crazy system of protecting them against all odds and allowing the students to be re-victimized. And this happened at very high levels in the government. I mean, the students were faulted for listening to the teachers' obscenities. They were documented by the commissioner of of teacher regulation as being too sensitive. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. But I mean, so in answer to your question, Claudia, absolutely. The the brain is very vulnerable. It's very sensitive. And if you abuse it mentally, it, it struggles to recover, especially since we don't know it's injured because we don't pay attention to the brain. It's important to note that the effects of bullying are invisible, in fact. When we come back, neuroplasticity and healing the bullied brain. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 105.9 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Fraser and I were discussing the effects of bullying on the brain, how bullying is an epidemic of abuse, neglect, and trauma. However, through her extensive research and commitment to helping us heal our bullied brain, Dr. Fraser has written this incredible book, Heal your scars and restore your health. Dr. Fraser, is there a cure for the bullied brain or is it a process, a protocol that we must follow to heal? We have brain plasticity. That means we can change our brains by what we practice. We can change our brains based on the environment that they're in. We can follow very clear evidence-based practices. And I fill my book with these practices for the reader. I supply the research because Really, we can all um, have a brain that's been hurt and completely change that. And it's not a quick fix. I don't want listeners to think that, oh, you just snap your fingers and you can heal the scars on your bullied brain. You can change the anatomy of your bullied brain. It's not like that. You actually have to work really hard, just like if you were out of shape and you decided that you wanted to run a marathon. So neuroplasticity is a topic that I'm starting to become more aware of and I'm trying to learn more about. And I actually teach my own patients in my practice that we can change our mind to change our health. Is it the same thing with the bullied mind? How can we use the science behind neuroplasticity to heal the scarred brains? One of the things that I do in the book is I, I work to have my, my readers understand that if they used mindfulness, not only can they calm down a brain that's panicky and cortisol that's shooting through the brain and body, they can absolutely lower those stress response levels down to a much healthier state. The calmness that you're trying to create in your mind is actually communicating to your brain that there isn't a predator anywhere around that the brain is completely safe. And as soon as the brain feels safe, it can pour its energy and resources into empathy, into compassion, into problem solving, into creativity, into innovation. But if we have a brain that's constantly under threat, that has this sympathetic nervous system that's constantly being activated by the anticipation or being face-to-face with aggressive behaviors on the part of other humans, then we don't have space for problem solving and learning new things and remembering things. That's why children who are being bullied or abused in a school system or sports or wherever, they their marks drop. They don't do well. They get very withdrawn. It's because their brain is so activated in a hypervigilant mode to, to identify threats. 
It doesn't have the energy for other things. So I harness neuroplasticity for those types of reasons to get people to visualize their brain, to talk to their brain, and to realign their mind, their brain, and their body. And that doesn't sound hokey at all because I do the same thing in my own practice. We need to be able to visualize where we need to be, and we need to help our body do that. And the brain is very powerful. Um, you know, there's thousands of examples that I could even provide on how changing the mind can actually change your physical being. And the mindfulness is a key component. I am a true advocate for being mindful all the time and trying to bring the blood pressure down and lower the cortisol levels. I love all the recommendations. But you also have a saying in your book um, that we all use, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But this is in fact not true. Let's explain to listeners why this is so such a wrong saying because it can be very detrimental to your health when you're dealing with something that could potentially make you unhealthy. Well, what I recognized in doing the research was that we have a, a mythology that we still live by. It's very outdated and it's not backed by science. But that mythology is that abuse is a necessary evil for greatness. And so we tend to look the other way when abuse is happening because we believe that it, it just has to happen. This is where toughness and grit will come from. And, and we believe that we have to teach our children and our teenagers especially to be um, to absorb all of the harm being thrown their way, the cruelty and the, the meanness and the, the put-downs, because this will actually make them tough and they'll survive in a tough world. So I went to the research to say, okay, well, let's take a look at the science behind this. Let's find the psychologists and the psychiatrists and the doctors and that the people that actually have researched this and show that it's true. And there's zero. There's not one single person that will put their name. There's not one single peer reviewed journal that will publish anything to that effect because it's not true. What we actually find in the science is that the more you support, the more you create a compassionate, empathic, caring, safe environment around a child or a teenager or a young adult, you are going to help them fulfill their incredible brain and body and mind potential. But if you are constantly barraging them with, um, you know, put downs and so on, you're not. It's just a simple it's a simple thing. And that once we change that in society, we change that understanding, then we are going to have a very different health outcome for our young people. Now, before we wrap up the show today, because it's been so informative and we, you know, it's such an important conversation. How do I start as a parent to explain to my children, um, we should learn to disobey. And I know that sounds, you know, like the opposite of what we teach our kids, but in a sense, you're right. We need to teach our kids to learn to disobey. How do we have a conversation with our children about the experience that they might be having? What do I tell them about a bullying situation that they may have encountered? Because I feel like it starts with the parents. It absolutely starts with the parents. What we need to do with our kids, I believe, is give them a very accurate vocabulary and get them to be critical thinkers. So when I say disobey, I'm specifically talking about a research project that showed that all of us have been so trained in compliance that we will obey and we will believe, I and mean, when we're seeing this politically right now in our world in very concerning ways, that people don't care anymore about factual evidence. They don't care about science. They don't care about um, being able to fact check something, which we can do quite well now with, with the internet. They just want to believe. 
and they believe almost in a, a religious way, a faith way, whatever is said to them. They believe a politician, for example. And really, I want to see our kids become a generation of critical thinkers. I want them to be skeptics. I want them to go deep within themselves and say, I'm being told that harming this individual or witnessing the harm of this individual is normal and question that. Because, you know, one of the things I found that's really disturbing with adults who abuse, they do it in pairs or threesomes, and they do it with the approval and um, sanctioning of the higher-ups. And this is a very typical behavior pattern for abusive individuals. They make relationships with higher-ups so that when reports come in that they've been abusive, the people are confused, that the, their brains can't can't understand how this person could be two different selves simultaneously. Well, that's exactly what they are. They're very good in public on putting on a certain type of persona and face. And then behind closed doors, when they're with children, they behave in a very destructive way. We need to teach our kids that very confusing presentation and to be wary of it. So, you know, I've, I've been writing a blog for psychology today and I'm literally writing about these kinds of things. How do we protect our kids from the dark triad? And that's Machiavellianism, that's narcissism, and that's psychopathy. And we need our kids to know that it's very small numbers of people in the world that are like this, but they are there and they are very, very dangerous and you need to disobey them. Do not fall for grooming, for example, but we're so afraid to talk to our kids about grooming and child luring that we just don't ever have that conversation. We need to tell our kids, what does it look like? We need them to know what is an emotionally abusive adult sound like? What do they look like? What do they say and do? And then get them pretty much, you know, you need to regularly go over this because the brain learns by repetition. It doesn't learn from a single workshop. It learns when we repeat these lessons. And I think those are such valid points. We need to open the conversation up with our children. We need to make them aware. And as much as it's not all of the adults, but it's a growing number of children that are experiencing bullying on some level. Dr. Fraser, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. If listeners want to learn more about your work, want to read your blog or purchase your book, how can they do that? My website is bulliedbrain.com. The title of my new book is available everywhere. It's called The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. On Twitter and Facebook and all the social media, I, my handle is now at Bullied Brain um, because my goal is to get people to stop ignoring their own brain and start having a relationship with this remarkable, this remarkable organ that we have inside our skulls. I couldn't agree with you more. You can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Michaela or my website, ClaudiaMichaela.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.